Hello, this is Sitcom Club, podcast number one. Before we start properly, a little bit of background for this one. This one was recorded in a slightly different way to all the subsequent editions of Sitcom Club. This one was recorded as it went out live on Cooked and Bombed Radio. It is a little bit looser than some of the later editions. Also, because this was going out live, Mooncat was keeping an eye on the Cooked and Bombed chat room. So occasionally hear him respond and mention a username that isn't the name of any of the principal members of the sitcom club itself. A couple of times you'll also hear us referring to previous meetings of the sitcom club. We did have two meetings before this proper official podcast number one version. We took a look at Open All Hours and Steptoe and so on. But those were just ones that went out live and weren't recorded properly. So they're considered not suitable for podcast. But that's enough of the introduction. I will hand you over to Mooncat. Hello, how are you doing everybody? This is Mooncat and Co. With me is Ocho. Hello. And DCT. Hello. And Bog and Strovia. Evening. Spiffing. Sorry DCT. Yep. I was debating about seeing if there was anywhere in the vicinity that would do a fried Mars bar for me, but no one would. Well, you can of course do this at home if you have the necessary facilities. And you don't have to just deep fry Mars bars. Of course you can do Snickers bars or Cadbury's cream eggs. Or you can do jam donuts. Fish? No, well, let's not go too far. Or italics? No. This is true, what I'm about to say. There is a, a chippy in Scotland that made the news recently for selling deep-fried butter balls. Basically, the deep-fried Coke as well, wasn't there? Deep-fried Coke syrup. Oh, I wasn't aware of this. No, this is a new one. And it's something I, I heard about. You get the Coca-Cola syrup, say, from a fountain. And just little drops of it into the fryer... You get this gooey centre. I have had deep fried ice cream. Okay, and how was that? It was ice cream in a hard, nutty kind of shell. I mean, it had gone cold, naturally. Yeah, I mean, that's a South African dish originally. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, South African specialty, where they kind of, where they drop the ice cream just very quickly, like kind of like a baked Alaska kind of vibe. Yeah. I like somebody to just get some balls of batter, let them go cold, and then deep fry them again. Fried batter. Balls of batter, was that not that uh, hidden camera show on Channel 4? Balls of Battersby. <laughs> it sounds like a Television X show, it does balls of batter. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, what fallen TV celebrity of yesteryear could be appearing in tonight's episode of Balls of Batter? Tony Slattery. I am now rattling through the previous names of Tony Slattery's shows to think of as some sort of pun. Well, presumably they'll do something about just a gigolo. Just to say uh, also a huge thanks to Zomwick Mouse, who has provided, I will share this with you as well, of course, entire series of Justin Shigler. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, this is to be celebrated. Exciting news. It is. Oh, yes. And I think that we know that this is something that's going to be added to the, uh, the ever-increasing sitcom list. I think we should just to have a marathon of that generally with a Skype commentary at some point. Now, excuse me while I whip this out. Uh, here we go. At the moment, the sitcom list has got 154 entries on it after last week's marathon session in the chat room. And Otto and I were chatting earlier on. We've discovered a few other names at the end of the list. We can debate them later on. And yeah, before we know it, we'll be up to 200. Basically, we've got the next four years of sitcom clubs pretty much mapped out. And we haven't even left Great Britain. This uh, is true, this is true. We don't need to. Let the Americans have their own sitcom club. 
Yeah, there's, there's more than enough to talk about. The number of times I've, I've been in the library and I've noticed a, a book on the greatest comedies of all time and you pick it up and it's always like M.A.S.H. or Lucy that's on the front cover and you're all bollocks. It's a nothing that, that's going to wax lyrical about, you know, like the third series of Dear Mother Love Albert. Was there a third series? I don't know. But anyway, the point is that we have got a few titles on there. We can sort of thrash this out uh, later on. We can thrash out some titles. Should they be on there? Should they not? So on and so on. But we do have a sitcom lined up tonight, do we not? And that sitcom is... Who's who's going to be the first one to name it? Go on, name that sitcom in one. Still Game. And which episode is it? Well, it ran for six seasons with a couple of specials, and this is episode one of series five, known as Drama. For a period of time, for the first couple of series, the titles of the episodes were in regards to Scottish wording, as it were. And after that, they, they got lazy. But... It didn't change the fact that the quality of pretty much almost all of the episodes, I say a good 90% of the episodes are pretty consistent. Always a good laugh, always good fun, quite homely, uh, a lovely atmosphere, kind of an element of last the summer wine in Scotland with a slightly risque, crude, not even crude, crude by comparison to last the summer wine, but in actuality, pretty much what you want to hear in the 21st century. And indeed, it did run from 2002 till 2007, I believe it was, yes. Yeah, it does what it says on the tin. And even then, the spin-off of Chewing the Fat. Ah, now then, now then, this is an interesting point. We'll come to the history of the series after we've seen tonight's episode. But funnily enough, it's not actually derived from Chewing the Fat. If anything, Chewing the Fat is derived from Still Game. How can this be, you ask? How? Because it is a stage play. Exactly right. The stage play was in 1996 and it began in Glasgow and then it toured England and Ireland and all sorts of places and then came back to Glasgow. It was recorded for a video release, a 1998 performance of it. And around about that time, Chewing the Fat, the sketch show was beginning. It used to be on Radio Scotland and then eventually progressed to BBC One Scotland Television, eventually went national. And in that, we had Jack and Victor, the characters from the play. And out of that, then came Still Game, the sitcom. So yes, it's actually, what is it, where the hell are we now, 2013? So it's actually, yes, 17 years old. The characters themselves, all the way back in 96. So there you go. <laughs> I kind of just also point out for the record that the show was staged at the Cottiers Theatre in Glasgow, and they know how to charge for a glass of wine. And I know that from bitter experience. The reason I know that is because uh, I was once on, I think it was either a third or a fourth date at the Cottier's Theatre some years back, and my good lady friend, that was the place that she decided to tell me that A, she didn't like Morecambe and Wise, (gasps) and B, you're going to love this, right? She had never seen an episode of Dad's Army. What? Now, at least just, let me just point out, this is not like some like student who just arrived in Glasgow like a few months earlier or something like that from South Africa. She'd been in Glasgow and Scotland all her life, and she'd never seen an episode of Dad's Army. I, I, I was absolutely astonished. I was speechless. And who does she think she's kidding? Mr. Hitler? Exactly. And I think actually we broke up quite soon afterwards, although that was more to do with the Morgan and Wise slate. <laughs> anyway... Um, oh, we just had a, a live, live and direct message from uh, Delete. Let's have a look at this. I don't know if I actually should be reading this out because this is actually sent directly to my Skype. But what the hell? It's an interactive show. Let's do it. Yes, Delete asks, can we add Birds of a Fella to the list? It's already on there. Uh, Delete, I think we added that last week. Uh, so Birds of a Fella is added there. And if 
by any chance you were about to follow that up with a message on Skype saying, by the way, please don't read this message out on the air and say that I asked you to, to, to add it to the list too late, it's been said. Should have been quicker. So, still game, now I'm going to come out with something right away. Still game, as you would expect, is a mixture of some sets set up by the comedy unit, uh, things like Navid Shop and so on, the interior of the pub. But a lot of still game, a lot of the exterior shots were shot in Mary Hill in Glasgow. Now, up until this time, almost exactly this time last year, when I had a brief spell in Manchester, I was living in Mary Hill. What can I tell you about Mary Hill? One of the poorest areas in the United Kingdom. Also, there were some areas that were sort of better and worse, but I can confirm that the overall tone of still game, that sort of style, people are certainly being less polite to one another than they would be in perhaps a sort of a twee middle class sitcom. But that's just a way of life. It's just how people converse. And I think that's part of the reason for its success is that it all feels real. At no point in Still Game does it feel like a stagey sitcom. There's never really any clunky dialogue or anything like that. It's all natural. As you said yourself, DCT, at the beginning, the first three series, the episode titles themselves were in Glaswegian, and then as a sort of a concession to getting onto Network BBC2, they then used plain English for the rest of the episode titles thereafter. But it's certainly very, very highly regarded up here. The episodes with Hogmanay had as many as a million viewers, which in Scotland is very, very high rating indeed. So suffice to say, it's, it's much missed, and we'll cover some of the details about why it came to an end later on. But yeah, I think everybody up here is hoping that one day the chaps will get back together again and give the new Hogmanay special. But um, we'll go around, first of all, start with yourself, Ocho, first of all, what your thoughts on Still Game? Ah, yes, because of course I'd never seen it before, which is something we're going to be hearing week in, week out. There is a lot of stuff out there I've never seen before, never bothered with. I really liked this. Just Excellent. to get that out of the way. It was very loose in terms of structure. I mean, it starts out with just a scene of them at home and a Larry Adler joke. Always good. <laughs> you know what? Okay, why was this episode called Drama? Because I'm, I'm now worrying that I watched the wrong episode. Because it is a play on words. The drama, so to speak, is involving... Dram, the, the of routine, course. Dram, uh, yeah. Okay, that's fine. So I watched the right episode. You did, indeed, yeah. Because at one point, I was just like, oh my God, I've watched completely the wrong episode. There's nothing about drama in here. Uh, the betting shop and the whiskey bit didn't really cross over a great deal. Didn't the, uh, the two characters we see first only... They were sort of like outside the betting shop with the horse. And that was it, wasn't it, really? Yeah, until the three of them come together at the end of the, the episode. Did they? I didn't see that. What, Winston, Jack and Victor? R- the end of the episode was them on a, at a bus stop. Do you, have, I, have you sent me a duff link? <laughs> did, you, did you carry on watching beyond the end credits? No, I didn't. Ah! Ah, okay, that's good then. That's good to Disaster. know. Well, seeing as it is the Easter weekend, it is only worth pointing <laughs> out that... Um, Kind of an Easter egg of all the still game, pretty much all of them, as far as I'm aware, of still gamers that stay right through to past the uh, end credits because it's an extra scene. Ah, we never told me that, and Um, I was busy. No, the thing thing is, are we? I've watched it. Right. Are we going to tell Ocho the rest of us? Are we going to tell Ocho what happened, or shall we have a sort of spoiler-free review so that you can see the end of it later on? What do you reckon? No, no, spoil it because I need to. I need to know if this affects anything else I've got written down in my notes. 
I don't think it's likely to. No, I think no. I think we'll be okay. I, we we can avoid uh, the ending because there might even be other people listening who actually uh, clicked away from the end credits. That has has been known to to happen. But uh, yeah, DCT. What were your thoughts on still? Well, <laughs> that was it. Was it? <laughs> I still stand by my contention that it was a very loose structure. By the way, before it it sounds like all of my opinions are based on me missing the last scene. <laughs> You know, the last scene brings everything together. Ah, finally it all, all falls into place. <laughs> I'm not sure. I wouldn't necessarily agree that it, it's too loose a structure. I think that it... I didn't say it was too loose. I'm just sort of observing that it's a loose structure. No, it worked. It benefits from the fact that, as, as all BBC sitcoms tend to do, it uses its time wisely. It's got room, it's got elbow room to stretch out. There's an, I, I do like the fact that there is that dialogue in The Clansman early on, which clues in the the viewers uh to who stevie the bookie is it's not absolutely necessary they don't have to do that because when he then appears supposedly as frankie then you still see winston's reaction but the point is that it gets the reaction from the audience because they've already been clued in you don't have to have clunky dialogue when they're all out in the cold with the horse and the jockey there and so on it's all been set up for you sorry dct you were you were saying i wasn't saying that much um yes sorry i was just you were eating crisps mainly, but it, it sounds like. Was it Doritos? Pizza. And, and if so, what flavour? I'm having a pizza. It was a very crunchy it pizza. Was, uh, well, it was. Well, Pizza pizzas. Express, our first sponsor. <laughs> and they're very crunchy pizzas. Yeah. Aren't they in any way related to Optical Express? Um, no, but uh, I really do need to start seeing things more. But, but no, the um, thing is with Saw Game, I, I'm, a bit, I'm a big fan. I, uh, I didn't discover it until after they'd finished, and I was kind of disconcerted to discover that the reason... They finished. The reason that the series stopped was because you have the three characters of Jack, Victor, and Winston. Yes, uh, Winston parted ways from Jack and Victor. That is to say, Greg Hemphill and Falkian, Paul Riley, who played Winston, walked away apparently over some financial dispute. And uh, yeah, it was very sad to see that that sort of finished before its time, or what could have been, because it was a very lovable, a very warm, very humble series. And I think this episode illustrates the a certain element of that. I don't even think there's a duff episode. I think every episode is pretty consistent. But this one stands out in terms of it, it covers the, the strand of the sitcom of the main characters getting a bit pissed. And it's a sound one for that, you know, because of the whiskey distillery and so forth. Whereas there are other, are other episodes which provide a sense of uh, A plot and B plot combining. Although this one's a little bit separate more so, what it does show is how it can work with the two main characters off on their own adventure, separate from the other characters, and how that works as an A and B plot, because usually the ensemble element of it combines them by the end in a greater capacity. But it also shows that, um, I, I don't know whether I should be spoiling the post-credits, but it's kind of one um, I quite like about that. And there are a few episodes like this where it's almost like, what did you do today? Where you sort of get the A plot and the B plot combining at the end with a cup of tea, going, oh, well, but the thing is, it, what also makes it quite lovable and affecting is that it's a shame that um, Greg Hempel uh, and Falkian aren't doing this anymore because, I mean, um, Hempel is now 43. Kiernan is, if I'm not mistaken, 50, 51. Um, so I'd like to think that maybe they'll come back to this when they're actually in in the OAP phase and maybe return and do a new series of it. There's no reason why not, essentially, really, apart from the exception of Winston. Winston, who, as a character slowly but surely throughout the series was um kind of fading out aside from the leg issue that he's got um, at one point he actually leaves and then comes back and they made that whole plot element you know there's not a huge reason why they shouldn't make it work to bring it back really i hope they do 
Yes, um, just to point out a couple of things just before we get to box. Uh, for anybody who may be listening to us and hasn't actually seen the episode or perhaps has never even seen Still Game, this is going to be pretty obvious to 90% of people listening, but just in case anybody isn't aware, the central characters in Still Game are played by actors who are about 30 to 35 years younger than the characters actually playing. Not just Jack and Victor, played by for Kieran and Greg Hempel, but also Winston and also Archie and Isa as well, all of whom are played by actors sort of late 30s and so on. And then you've got other actors who are actually the age that they're portraying, and I think like Paul Young, for example, is slightly made up to look a little bit older. Paul Young plays Shug, who was in the bar in the episode that we just saw. And the other thing just to point out, um, Delete was saying in the chat room there, but how should do still game the early years? Well, I think he said where they are in their 60s. Well, they have occasionally gone back. They've, we've had a little flashback in one episode concerning an additional character who comes in and they're trying to work out uh, he, he is someone's son and they're trying to work out who it is. We get a little flashback to the, the boys and their youth. And also there is an episode, a Hogmanay episode, which for the majority of it, is actually set in 1975. And we see the introduction of Navid uh, to Craig Lang, and we also see Jack and Victor's wives who were there and so on. So yeah, it does occasionally step back in time. Just a second, we'll, we'll cover the history of the show, we'll go through the different episodes and so on. Boggs, what were your thoughts on Stilgame? Yeah, it was a uh, good sitcom. I mean, you can see in the uh, episode there, but the performers have come through sketch comedy, rather than being actors. So they know that their performances are more sort of tight from that and their timing. They know what each other is going to do. But I thought the two plots, once you had the sort of whiskey plot, it was going to be more obvious that they were going to get drunk as the sort of talk went on. But the other one, like you were really saying, that the introduction to Stevie, to know what's sort of going on with him, and that Stevie sort of uh, makes, combines the episode together. Yeah. And if I'm from right, you're basically saying that the uh, distillery plot had a fairly foregone conclusion. Yeah. But with the bookies, you didn't really know where it was going. Because I found it really interesting when there's this whole question of, is he Frankie or is he Steve? Mm -hmm. The guy playing Frankie Steve wasn't acting in that obvious kind of stage, nervous way. He was acting dead straight. Yeah, he was acting dead straight. The fact was that uh, with the sort of Stevie-Frankie plot meant that uh, it could go anywhere it could. Even with the addition of, say, where Winston gets messages from John McCrick. <laughs> that sort of ramps it up. It becomes a plausible plot into a surreal plot. But having it become more surreal means that the plot can be advanced on more further, it can. It's also a case by sort of getting revenge for instance, in that way, by sort of cleaning uh, Frankie Stevie out by his bets, etc. So there's a there's a reasonable conclusion without revealing what's going to happen next. There is a reasonable conclusion before whatever 
happens in the post credit scene. Yes. Well, a couple of things about the subplot. First of all, it's nice that they didn't go down the obvious route because at first you might be thinking that whether whether it's Frankie or Stevie is actually going to be the plot, that that's going to be the big reveal. And of course, within 10 minutes, we've established that it is uh, Stevie. So then you're sort of intrigued to know where this is going to go beyond this. Uh, Delete and I were just chatting before we started recording tonight. And again, I'm going to be careful not to give away the, the ending in case anybody apart from Mocho hasn't seen it. But it was necessary to at least imply that Winston isn't just going to walk out the bookies with 32 grand. You could write that in such a way that he invests it or buys something big or whatever it may be, but you couldn't then just have that character always having cash on the hip forevermore. The other thing about the bookies as well is that doing this plot and then getting uh, Stevie the bookie back there establishes one of the main meeting points because the bookies along with the clansmen and occasionally the the local cafe they are the main haunts for the characters and so a lot of interaction between the characters does take place the bookies usually involving winston and so it is helpful for future plots to have the bookies there uh, and open again just to go back a little bit just to talk about a little bit about the uh show itself before the episode started tonight we talked about the fact that Still Game began as a play in 1996. Initially, it was Gavin Mitchell playing the role of Winston. Gavin Mitchell, we saw in the episode tonight, he was in Bobby the Barman when it transferred to TV. And eventually, he was replaced by Paul Riley, and that's where the main three characters then developed from. Uh, we do hear eyes are referred to in the stage play, but not seen. And, of course, then she later on becomes one of the main characters. We'll come to this in a second. She's actually part of a cliffhanger in the very last episode. It would be interesting to know where that was going to go, but we'll come to that in a second. The series itself, this began in 2002. Initially, when it went out, it was going out in Scotland only. To tell you that the, the lengths that I was prepared to go to, to see decent sitcoms, back in the day, 2002, BBC was available on satellite, but it was protected by postcode. So in order to see Still Game and Chewing the Fat and other programmes of its ilk, I had to send off for a, a free-to-view card from Sky and get it sent up to a relative's address, because I was living in Gosport at the time, I had to get it sent up to a relative's address in Scotland and then get hold of this card and set up a skybox which thought that it was in Scotland. It's ridiculous now. I mean, these days you, you could torrent that in a complete episode in about five seconds. But back then, those were the lines you had to go to. It's just a trick Sky and the BBC into letting you uh, watch Scotch and Rye over Hogmanay. But uh, yeah, so it was going out in Scotland only for the first few years. And then, right about 2000, I think it was about, about 2004, I don't know if BBC was trying to sort of box tick. I don't know if they were trying to fill some regional quota, but all of a sudden they started showing a sitcoms from the nations on a Saturday evening. And in particular, I remember Still Game going out in a doubleheader with the Northern Ireland sitcom Give My Head Peace. Now, suffice to say, there was a reason why I haven't put Give My Head Peace on the sitcom list, and if we ever discuss it, I may well be indisposed that week. But <laughs> uh, Still Game consequently got picked up by the network, and Give My Head Peace didn't. When it was going out then in 2005 as part of the Comedy Zone on a Thursday evening, on occasion still game actually got higher ratings than both Steve Cook and Saxondale and the Catherine Tate show, and did remarkably well. And also its Christmas special one year even went out on Network BBC One, which I think I'm right in saying was something that wasn't even achieved by Ramsey Nesbitt in its prime. I was never a big fan of, of Ramsey Nesbitt. 
when it was going out. And that used to be the sitcom up here in Scotland. It used to be the one that everybody talked about every song. Rhapsody in this, but had a slightly surreal edge to it. It, it, it could go off in, in sort of funny directions here, there, and, and what have you. And I like the fact that Still Game doesn't. I like the fact that Still Game has got its feet on the ground. And it's not suddenly going to veer off and start seeing pink elephants or anything like that. But uh, yes, yeah, so Still Game continued until 2007, as DCT alluded to. There was um, a dispute between the main free players of the production company, F&G Productions, which is Ford Kiernan and Greg Kempel and Paul Riley. And as a result, we've not had any more episodes since 2007. I know that Greg Kempel himself has played down this rift and he has said that they're all on speaking terms, but they don't have any plans to resurrect it. I don't think it's given too much of a... It's not really given away a spoiler as such because the plot doesn't go anywhere because there are no more episodes. But the last episode was Hogmanay episode in 2007 ends with a bit of a cliffhanger involving two of the characters possibly having a romantic tryst. And it'd be interesting to see where that was going to go. But at last, it doesn't seem as that they were going to. So if we go all the way back to 2002, it's going to be episode guide up and running. DCT, you've seen pretty much every episode of this, haven't you? I thought I had until you mentioned the cliffhanger. <laughs> I don't remember that. Cliffhanger was... Spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear the cliffhanger, mute your audio for the next ten seconds. Cliffhanger was Naveed and Isa getting it together. Ooh. Because Naveed's wife has gone off, I think, to Pakistan, and she has fallen for a film star. And Isa was there on Hogmanay. Uh, the two of them have a bit of K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Uh, that kind of makes slight sense. Yeah, that's coming back to me now slightly. By comparison, Rhapsody Nesbitt is uh, allegedly due an 11th series this year. Yeah, haven't been as big as it was in the, the 90s. and then came back again around about 2001 and then came back again quite recently. In the, uh, in the break, uh, Ian Patterson released an autobiography of Rab. I know there was some sort of one-offs, but you, uh, wasn't it part of the same sort of specials, which, um, you know how they had the porridge one with uh, Ronnie Barker? Wasn't Rebsy Nesbitt in that sort of thing as well, like a sort of catch-up? Uh, oh, you mean, oh, you mean like um, Life on the Box? Like Life Beyond the Box. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm um, sure it was part of that. Not that I remember, actually, not that I recall. We were looking that up the other night and found that there were only two episodes. Yeah. Despite our memories of there being three or four. Rapsi was developed the same way without the play precursor. Rapsi Nesbitt was developed from a sketch show in itself. It was developed from Naked Video. One small change that was made, uh, I do remember, to the characterization. First of all, oh, my movie's name, Jonathan, uh, start of um, Only an Excuse. Can't remember his name. Star of City of Lights. Uh, anyway, he was the original Jamesy, not Tony Roper. And I think he was also supposed to be Spanish <laughs> the first time that he appeared. And also, can you remember the name of Rab's wife? I know it's Lindsay Smith, but I can't remember the character. Mary. Mary Doll. Thank you, Spitey. Thank you, Spitey. That's shocking. I, somebody living in Glasgow does not know the name of a character in Rabsy Nez, but I've, I've just blown every stereotype wide open there. But Mary Doll originally was portrayed with an ever-present black eye. 
in the sketches in Naked Video, and that element was dropped when they got to the sitcom stage because, of course, uh, you couldn't really imply that your main protagonist was getting up to that kind of thing. Rapsy had to be a bit more of a lovable character. So, yeah, along with the fact that in still gameplay, there was a lot of harsh language, the characters are a little bit rougher in that, and they have slightly mellowed. Uh, in the series itself, because I think that when you get to a series and you're trying to build audience appreciation, you you, you need to get characters to be liked. They don't, they don't necessarily have to be people that you would want to have in your everyday life, but you, you've still got to have some sort of warmth towards and them. And you so. know the uh, the one crossover Akasa between Rabsi Nesbitt and uh, Still Game? Ah, now then, now then, now then, now then, let me think about this crossover. Is this on a regular basis or... Uh... Regular more so for Epstein as a bit uh, less regular. I think maybe twice at the most in, in the other one. At least referenced uh, a number of times, but only maybe appeared once, perhaps twice in Still Game. I'm drawing a blank here. I can think of a particular actor who's been in both series, but who are you thinking of? Uh, Sylvester McCoy. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Yes, only in Still Game once, but that, that's actually one of my favourite episodes. Mm. Uh, I've lots of really, twice, really nice um, unless, it, unless he made a brief appearance later on. Not I don't know, because I remember there was one where it's him being forced out of his house, and so, and there's yes. one where it's him looking for love. I don't know, maybe I'm having a weird flashback. The thing is about Still Game as well, though, which, which is something I really like about it as well, is that it's kind of got this thing where, if you look at something like Last of the Summer Wine, which has an enormous history going right back into the 70s, Still game. I'm not, I'm not saying still game is last of some wine for the 21st century, but on the one, on the other hand, um, it kind of captures the whole aspect of the older generation having a laugh on a very. It, it's sort of it's sort of how you would describe these characters actually have grown up together. They've been through their working lives, and now they've got spare time. They know each other. They're from a tight community where everyone would know everyone else if you get what I mean yeah and that there's something very cozy and homely about that it's a very reassuring thing to find in a in the in the case of last of the summer wine in the early series it was slightly sad the whole thing that they'd been through their working lives and they had free time which they never really properly had before and they didn't really know what to do with it the working title for Last of the Summer Wine was The Library Mob. They were hanging out of the library not because they, they needed to. It was the only thing they could do. But funnily, funnily enough, there is kind of an allusion to that in Still Game, really, because there's a whole moment where um, it's basically heavily implied that um, once a week Jack and Victor go to um, the library to have their have a secret lunch uh, in the, between the bookshelves until... Um, until he inadvertently drops a flask of uh, tomato soup, falls off the ledge and rolls off the uh, rolls off into a woman who's uh, underneath them, and they look down. And it looks like she's dead because of the um, tomato sauce has leaked out. Oh, she's dead! No, it's tomato soup. But one thing, I know we're drawing up our list of uh, sitcom tropes to a certain extent. We're talking about location as character, and there was also that whole thing of people trapped in situations. With less of the summer wine, and possibly to a certain extent, is people trapped outside of situations. They're locked out of life now. They're not locked in something desperate. They're that's locked... a good. That's a good phrasing. Locked out of life. Yeah. There was there was a, there's a fairly heavy amount of um, pathos in Still Game. There are some episodes which are more dramatic than others. Um, sometimes, for example, we have a recurring 
a storyline which involves Victor's son, who is supposed to live in Johannesburg, and just doesn't really make time for his father, and often invents excuses why he can't visit. On the other hand, Jack's daughter still dotes on him. She has emigrated to Canada, but she keeps in regular touch, and there is an episode where both Jack and Victor go out to Canada, filmed on location. Greg Hempel, of course, is, is originally Canadian. There's a nice sort of contrast there between the two offspring and the two characters compare and contrast different experiences. I think that there there is, with regards to Isa, for example, she has gone through uh, a marriage breakup and has her sort of no good uh, ex-husband come back every once in a while, stirring up trouble and so on. In the case of Winston and also in the case of Tam, they're interesting characters because they start off as relative bit players and then become more and more important over time and one particularly nice thing about Still Game as it goes on over the series is not afraid to make fundamental changes to the characters it was one thing that always bugged me a little bit in some sitcoms when I was growing up I would sometimes for example see like a particular sitcom where the, the whole story for that week would revolve around whether a particular person was going to take a job and move up north and never see anybody again and by the point that the episode went out you probably already seen their name in the cast list of the next week's Radio Times so you knew that the whole sort of storyline was actually rather futile whereas in Still Game with Winston for example you have the story involving uh, Winston's leg. The first time I ever saw that, it did take me by surprise, the fact that he, he goes and, and, and sort of finds out why it's giving him pain and so on, and the doctor just tells him, frankly, yeah, it's going to have to come off. And you're still sort of thinking at the time, this is, this is going to be some sort of gag, there's going to be some sort of reason why this isn't going to happen, but of course does happen and as you've just seen in the episode itself then he has his false leg he has problems initially because he can only be prescribed uh, a woman's false leg with, with painted toenails and so on uh, he, uh, he then sort of has that ever-present limp there on um, in the case of Tam Tam the stereotypical Scott you could say very uh, miserly never misses an opportunity to get anything for free or cut price or whatever it may be he gets married in the course of the series and then, incredibly, becomes a father. Now, again, that kind of thing where you think, is this just going to be something for this particular episode? You've even got the episode where the clansman is renamed, is renamed Jenny's later on in relation to, I won't say whose son it turns out to be, because that'd be a spoiler, but uh, you have a particular character who comes in for one week and he's trying to trace his son who lives, or his father rather lives in Craig Lang, and yeah, the, the puppy ends up getting renamed. Jenny's. Um, so you have, over the course of your, your six series, you do have characters actually go through developments. They don't just stay as they are forevermore. And things like that can sort of take you aback. But yeah, there is a, there's a fair amount of pathos in the episodes. Some are more thick with it than others. There's one particular episode, again, a bit of a spoiler, so I wouldn't say too much about it, but there's one particular episode where Jack and Victor are volunteering at a hospital radio station. And that appears to have a very dramatic, pathos-heavy ending. 
That's all I'll say about it. If I go any further, then it's going to be like an episode of the IT crowd where the uh, was it the Dominator uh, rings up Chris O'Dowd and says, uh, yeah, that film's got a very unusual twist. That's all he tells him about it. And then he spends the rest of the time trying to work out what the swerve's going to be in the episode. So yeah, it does sort of tug at the, uh, the heartstrings. Um, Beefy Bakes is another one that springs to mind. Recipe, that is, the recipe episode. Because uh, Jakey, the uh, occasionally homeless character... That was one I was debating about picking out for for the episode to watch, but uh, spoiler alert! But uh, yeah, that that episode is um, pretty sad as well, pretty depressing, really. Because as it turns out, he has a fair point. Naturally, he's got legitimate situation, but the drink gets the better of him. Uh, in a way, that makes it sort of uh, harder to take in because, as you say, the, the series does allow for its characters to develop, and so when one is left behind, it makes it all the sadder. Unfortunately, one of the characters who is left behind is this alcoholic, homeless chappy who actually could move forward if it wasn't for his own vices, for his own um, demons. In the episode of Recipe, he's given the chance to move forward but um, ends up choosing the drink instead. Surely it's good to have pathos in in sitcoms. It means that you do have... Uh, reality to them you know everything can be slapstick but it's got to be true to life if you can to sort of remind the audience yeah they may be comic characters but they're still people as well but clumsy pathos it's got to be well done you've got to earn your pathos clumsy pathos just sucks the air out of the room yeah but i said i would without naming names I would say the sort of pathos, you know, like you say, clumsy pathos can be bad for a sitcom, but it does remind you that uh, when you get something that does happen in an episode, it's got to be right. Yeah, I think there are some kind of shows where the absence of pathos would be weirdly jarring. And others where the presence of pathos would be... I mean, if if you ever had an Are You Being Served where Mr. Humphreys came in suffering from a gay bashing and they explored the... Well, hang on a minute. Something's wrong here. This isn't a vehicle for that kind of thing. Whereas, like you say, with Still Game, it would be odd if uh, it didn't occasionally slow down. Yeah. It's also to do with... Um, you can get away with that in the setting as well. Like where you would get with only fools and horses relatively same and only fools and horses they're both set on a housing estate so yeah but sometimes the pathos in only fools and horses was not great and i think everybody talks about cassandra's miscarriage as kind of a bad mo yeah <laughs> thank you for dragging it down to cab level as as being one of those those moments of Sometimes there's a problem with people who think they're too good for comedy. A comedy that thinks it's too good for comedy. They look into the screen and, I, actually, I think you find something a little bit darker. So mm. yeah. Actually, yeah. to be fair, the one that always gets to me, I mean, when I was wheezing there, it was a general um, condition. I will not have that marked here on the uh, on the radio. I have actual uh, bad cough. <clears throat> um, although I, I did laugh at that when um, Dell did get asthma in that episode. But... Not to sort of go too off topic here, but there is uh, the, the moment I sort of in Fools and Horses that I always remember is when um, it's all about Dell sacrificing his body for the sake of uh, Rodney's wedding, 
and uh, he lets the Driscoll yeah. brothers beat yeah. him off, off up, um, beat him up, and um, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> and there's that whole thing. Sorry, I just realised your little Freudian slip. Um, and just, uh, <laughs> just, just beats him, beats him off, and 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 it's just. Uh, He's just like, yeah, and then that is that whole scene where it's through the door, and it's like, he's pissing, it's like, you're right, Dale. I mean, Only Fools and Horses, we, we should do a whole, uh, we should do an extended episode for that, because there's some very dark bits in that. I mean, you know, Rodney forcing Dale to drink his piss and all this, there's a whole... I should, can, I, can I just point out on that, on that topic, because I heard you discussing that the, the other night on Thursday, and when you said that at first I was thinking, What? I was honestly I was racking my brains trying to think, when the bloody hell did that happen? I was actually got this got this image in my head that he'd taken a piss in a mug and then just left it in front of Dale and just watched him knock it back and says, You enjoying that drink, are you? But then I realised what episode you were talking about when he's in the little hideaway and he's been uh, having a slash in the water tank. But yeah, it, it it's not quite the same as him forcing it down his throat or anything like that. But yeah, we couldn't possibly do justice to, to only fools in the space of uh, an hour and a half. That's gonna be an extended session. There's a lot to discuss there with regards to Dale. Just to quickly go back to Ocho, what you said about, yeah, it would be weird if Are You Being Served suddenly took a dramatic turn. These things can be, uh, I think it depends on on the actual show itself as to what amount of pathos feels right. And there are a couple of episodes of Are You Being Served, particularly ones which involve Mr. Granger, which do have very small amounts of pathos in them. And because you're not expecting it, even though it's very, very small, and perhaps it's just a single line, but it does stand out a mile because it's so unexpected, whereas if that was in Only Fools and Horses, you wouldn't even pick up on it. You wouldn't, wouldn't even register it. And it takes something, as as you were talking about, like the Cassandra storyline, it takes something as stark as that to really sort of hit you so that uh, you really pick up on it. Um, and if I can just bring up a, a case where the absence of pathos is weird. Um, I've just finished um, Series 2 of open all hours the last episode there is this moment where a hungarian who was in the area in the late 40s comes around looking for information about a woman he dated and it's just kind of like at one point arkwright seems to be obsessed with the idea of preventing this guy taking granville away now arkwright sees the picture so we're fairly sure that he sees it and it's not his sister yeah but they don't even deal with it. And then at the end, Gladys Emanuel says, oh, I hope you found that woman. And it's like, no, hang on a minute. <laughs> for for a moment, we're led to believe that that might be Granville's father. And Arkwright puts a stop to him finding this out. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we, we need something a little bit more underlining that it wasn't that, and Arkwright isn't that evil. Or otherwise, this is odd and weird, and you really should slow down here. It's not funny. Yes. But it's the same thing. When you get a character like that, which does come in between, it's the same when you get, a say, another character who comes into the dynamic, the only fools and horses, Dell's dad, that he invades. It's like the bad sort of apple coming into it, and it changes the dynamic between them all. It's, it's like when the what's-his-face who plays Shelley... Bennett. It's like when Hugh Bennett appears in anything, you know it's going to be bad news. I think it's not too much of a spoiler to, to say that he does appear in the first episode of Jam in Jerusalem and is dead there in you go. 10 minutes. Bad news. But <laughs> I'm thinking also EastEnders, uh, Neverwhere, 
anything. Well, it's, it's the same thing with Hugh Bennett, but he's, his performance is sort of the same in all of it. You know, slightly gruff. He doesn't change his performance. And when you get actors doing that, why take on the role if you can only do one thing? I know want to test themselves, but, you know, it does become jarring. Yeah, he does just walk into each episode of anything and goes, I don't think that's a very good idea. Before we return to Still Game, I'm just going to pick up on one thing that um, Ray had said in the, the chat room there about seeing the pilot episode of Yes Minister uh, for the first time. Yes Minister, you could possibly argue that's a unique case because that is able to get laughs from situations and topics that almost certainly wouldn't be covered in any other sitcom. Sometimes you get very serious subjects being discussed, and yet because of the circumstances that they're in, because of the, the surroundings and the fact that they have to deal with these things, they can do it still in a light-hearted way. I mean, there's an episode, for example, that talks about uh, a chemical company and whether the, the materials that they were producing was safe and gives examples of the problems that the, this related chemical has caused elsewhere in the world. Kind of stuff that just wouldn't be touched on by an Aussie British-made arms being used by terrorists. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. The Whiskey Priest episode, yes. No, and that, that's, that's I mean, it, it, it depends on the star which it's done in. Yeah, you've got it, that in still game. I mean, you've got the thing with... Um, the mobile far mask thing done in Gavin and Stacey, you know, that's sort of done for comedy. It sort of feels like it does jar. It does seem like it shouldn't really be in there. Mm-hmm. If you are going to do something serious with Paphos, that you have to go on the serious side. If not, doesn't work at all. Uh, there is actually there's quite a nice example within Still Game, one of the earliest episodes, which concerns a cold spell, quite topical, and the fact that Winston has his own method for being able to <laughs> rig the electricity meters, and a lot of people in the area have um, taken up his services. There is a scene in that episode where Jack and Victor get into a conversation about a dream that Jack has had, and there's a long period of dialogue where there's no laughs, uh, and you are just you just sort of sucked in. You're just listening to the details of this, and you're wondering where he's going with it. And that does have then a very sudden because a huge explosion comes from the kitchen where Winston is working, and that just suddenly takes you back straight away to the comedy. Not quite nice ones. I'm not a fan of, for example. I suppose you could sort of call it bait and switch. It's something you do get occasionally in later Only Fools episodes where you get a funny situation and then suddenly a serious one hits you. I'm not a fan of that kind of thing at all. I do like a serious situation that suddenly gives you a huge, big, robustious laugh and it releases all the tension that's been built up previously. Yeah, that's that's the best thing about it. It's got to be like that. You can't go from... uh funny to serious to funny to serious. It's got to have that pressure situation. And then one thing happens, it's a release. It's like where in the Heroes and Villains episode of Only Fools and Horses, where the counsellor is getting mugged. You know, that is pretty serious. And then with Dylan Rodney coming in as Batman and Robin, 
there's a release it is. It's the what the hell is going on moment. And you laugh at that. Yes. That's a really, really good example by Delete in the chat room there, One Foot in the Grave. Just to respond to two things from Delete. Delete, I'll add the High Life, not a Scottish sitcom, I'll add that to the list. And also, they haven't mentioned Spats yet, says Delete. Well, we have now. Spats! Um, there you go. But uh, yeah, One Foot in the Grave, that's a great example of David Renwich being able to interweave these sometimes very, very dark storylines. I mean, I'm thinking of things like The Man Who Blew Away, for example, which went on Christmas night and still manages doesn't, doesn't which leave was the one you with Jimmy Jewel buying a bunch of bendy dinosaurs yes yeah that I thought was, that yeah. was actually a bit it's kind of like come on you're milking it dad but David Rainwick is so good at doing that he is he does the comedy stuff so well but he also does the serious stuff so well he can do both and yes. sort of interweave them without it You've got to be able to have that in uh, One Foot in the Grave. It's got to be there because it's an underlying thing with Victor Melgrew. His his take on the world, you might say curmudgeonly, but Victor Melgrew is someone who has been worn down by the world. And, I mean, you know, you can see people who have been worn down by the world about certain things. But it's got to be there because it's part of their makeup. Yes, it all, it all comes down to the, the, the situation that's been established. For example, something like, say, George and Mildred, which is just starting to repeat one on ITV3 just now, that's, for the most part, very sort of broad comedy. But occasionally it does sort of touch on Mildred's obvious sadness within the marriage and occasionally then also George expresses his sort of regrets that he hasn't been a particularly good husband everything in small doses I guess It's like Delete says in the chat room but he argues that Victor hasn't been worn down but he's still fighting I can get what Delete means that people still do fight because they want to get what's Right, they want to get what is honest. Now, Victor does that. He wants not triumph. He wants it to be right. He wants it to be right for everyone else. He's the one who's putting himself out there. Yeah, he's not a Larry David character who... Who's trying to make things right by his own standards? He's actually trying to speak for uh, what is generally the the thing to do, the right thing to do. I mean, it, to bring it back to Still Game in that respect, they're kind of primary antagonists that kind of seep through. You know, occasionally it's funny. Occasionally it reflects more so on the side of pathos. Are what they call the Neds, that is, the teenagers, the uh, the youths of who, who sort of circulate the estate and so forth. And um, there's an episode that, that was almost picked for tonight, which was um, kind of a three men in a boat vibe, uh, in a literal sense, actually, which was to celebrate either Jack or Victor's birthday. And that has two very strange elements to it. It's two very sweet, strange moments. The first is which is Naveed and um, his wife having getting into an argument about something or other about her birthday. She says she shares a birthday with um, Jack or Victor and it's, oh, have you forgotten, you you know, you bastard, and blah, blah, blah. And that scene ends 
without any laughs, it just ends with him behind her going, oh, got some flowers and chocolates, basically. <laughs> sort of, oh, that's nice. And then at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, but at the end of that episode, um, you have this whole thing of where they've inadvertently drunk the beer. They found, like, they sort of reached this, they managed to get off off the boat and onto this um, onto the side and, um, and found some beer and stuff. And it turns out they, it belongs to these youths. And um, then the youths chase them. So they get back on the boat. And then uh, the youths chuck a TV over the bridge, which sinks their boat. And they um, they get to the shore and hide on a boat. And they get cornered by the youths. And the youths turn around and um, uh, they, they turn on the light. And um, they realise that they're surrounded by crates of booze. So they end up all bonding over it. And so it's got this kind of strange, sweet element to it. So sometimes sometimes it kind of breaks away from that and goes, which I kind of respect. Because there are moments where it is quite bleak, quite dark. And then very occasionally it goes, you know what? Maybe it's time for a, for an episode where everyone just gets along, <laughs> which yes. you know sometimes is a, is a refreshing thing. And as with the um, the shows that we've we've seen recently, Step Two and Open All Hours, again I think it's going to be uh, as we go through these different shows each week. I've noted that this will be a recurring theme: is that you've got to have principal characters that the audience can warm to. They don't have to be people that you would like to have as your best friend. The example often given, for example, is that you wouldn't want a next-door neighbour like Hyacinth Bucket. Uh, she's funny at it from a distance, but you would not want to be around her. You wouldn't really be wanting to serve under Captain Mannering, for example. Uh, you'd find them overly pompous. But in Still Game, the only people who are out-and-out, out, sort of what you probably call wrong-uns, are the people who come in occasionally and again they don't benefit i mean there's an example the episode where uh, jack and victor go out for the day for their anniversary so to speak the day that they met and they reminisce about a particular person who then appears to emerge uh, behind them in the transport museum uh, i won't go any more into more detail than that and also isa's ex-husband harry who again is just a troublemaker and even then he still has a little bit of depth and still ultimately sort of not redeems himself but ultimately does the right thing and, and steps back and realises Isaac just doesn't want him around anymore they've all got the, they've all got the faults and yes okay um, Tam for example is very mean and would be very annoying uh, in that way Bobby you could possibly say Bobby is perhaps maybe one of the more sour characters he, he's not really somebody who's a, a barrel of of laughs but you still take his side when the clansman's existence is threatened uh, you're still on his side uh, i think that yeah we'll, we'll see this we'll see this uh, more and more you mentioned how bennett earlier on i've never warmed to shelley as a series because i don't like shelley i don't like him as a character i i understand that he's supposed to be this work shy character who's well educated and doesn't want to do jobs that he thinks are beneath him but I still can't really be on his side, given the circumstances that he's in. I find it very difficult to sympathise with him. I'm, I'm probably in the minority about that, because it was still a successful uh, series. But I've had a lot of people, especially, I think it was a thread on the Mausoleum Club some time ago, a lot of people just do not like Del Boy at all. Just don't want him, think that he's a, a nasty piece of work, with some of the things he gets up to. Sorry, I just imagine Hugh Bennett playing Del Boy. He would have these dead eyes. <laughs> It would be very, very dark, it would be. I can really understand where Mooncat's coming from on uh, the Del Boy thing. You know, he can appear at times to be very, very sort of cocky, he can. 
you know, very full of himself. Mm-hmm. And he may appear to say, yeah, he's got a heart of gold and all like that. But sometimes he can be too cocky. And it's sort of like, I'm going to ground you right down, I am. I'm going to get you right down to my level. Yeah. I'm sure we'll, we're sure we'll cover this when we, we do eventually cover Only Fools. One one little example of that, and maybe maybe remembering this incorrectly, but the, the rather awful Christmas special Miami Twice, where Adele and Rodney go off on their wee holiday. If I remember this correctly, the preamble to that, the episode that went out on Christmas Eve, I think I'm right in saying it was basically Dell engineering a situation where Rodney and Cassandra would expect to be able to go on holiday together, but Dell has sort of rigged it in such a way that the dates for their holiday aren't going to match and Cassandra isn't able to get the time off work. There's no redeeming element at all. I don't think he's trying to save anybody from themselves or do anything nice. He's just trying to get himself a holiday. He's trying to be selfish in that way he is. He's trying to be so funny. That's the thing, though. You won't get that in the radio times in this episode in which Del Boy is an arsehole. It's just kind of... Yes. People don't want to face up to it. They think it's, oh, well, it's all jolly and all like that sometimes. But they've got to face up. No character can be jolly all the way along. They can't. They can never be like that. They've got to seem like they are human. They've got to be human. Yeah. Can I ask you, Ocho? Uh, you saw no. Still Game for the first time. No, okay, right, well, moving okay. on. Um, <laughs> no, you, you said you've still seen Still Game for the first time. Yeah. For this. Are you, as a viewer, are you of a mind to see any more? Has it, has oh, it... definitely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good I was, to hear. I was I mean, kind it's... of laughing within you know, the first couple of lines. I thought this will do for me. The, the, now, one thing I wanted to get back to, um, Boggs was saying about how, in some ways, you could tell it had grown out of sketch comedy, or at least grown alongside sketch comedy because of the timing. Quite a lot of the things they said weren't funny in the, of themselves. There's nothing funny about them on paper. Like the Larry Adler joke. It was just beautifully delivered. And he, the, bit, the bit in the distillery where it's just like, Oh, Clark Gable's a prick. <laughs> Every time I hear Clark Gable's name mentioned <laughs> anywhere now, uh, in my head, I always hear big stupid prick. I've never been <laughs> no, able to sorry, yeah, I got the line wrong. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time they introduce a Clark Gable film on TCM and Robert Osborne, it's a rather American yeah. reference. Coming up now on TCM, big stupid prick, Clark Gable. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a case with the sort of episode. In that sort of way, it's sort of referencing in itself. You know, they're trying to get lines in which make each other laugh for their own sake, rather than saying, oh, this is a funny line. It's trying to say, oh, you got this line in, you got this reference in, and all like that. That's how they try and raise each other, by saying, right, Gonna get that reference in. Gonna get this reference in, which can be good if it seems like it's out of context. You would seem almost confused to say, "Well, where does that fit in?" Yeah, it's funny actually, Ocho, that you mentioned that specifically in regards to the game because 
one of the things that was said about chewing the fat when it began is some people complained in the newspapers up here that it was just patter. It was it was just parroting local slang and so on. There's a particular sketch, recurring sketch, which involves one person in a group not drinking. And everybody else will then ask, what's the matter with you? Take a drink. And of course then it will get wider and wider and wider and you've got a whole pub full of everybody just saying, take a drink. Until the person eventually gives in and everybody shouts, there you are! And eventually they even took the piss out of it themselves. And the two painters and decorators, the two characters in Chewing the Fat, were sat on the sofa one episode just saying, that's Chewing the Fat, man, it's just patter. It's just patter, man, it's just patter. And yet, there is, I mean, I'm interested to know from the three of you, because I've got an advantage slash disadvantage uh, in regard to this. I don't think twice about any of the dialogue that's in this. How, How did you all feel about the dialogue? Were there any bits where you were sort of in the dark about what was being discussed? Um, how did you how did you get on with the uh, the Glaswegian? No, no, really. I understood all the dialogue because I've been a fan of uh, Scottish comedy for a very long time. You know, uh, coming through Naked Video, Rabsy, Nesbit, Steel Game. I do like and have watched Scottish comedy for a very long time. I would say first sort of Naked Video would be about nineteen eighty eight. So seeing that. You know, I'm sort of used to it, if you get what I mean. Yeah. And it doesn't really bother me. You know, it's whether it's funny. It's not about whether, you know, you can understand dialogue, whether you can understand dialect. Is it funny or is it not? That's my take on it. Mm-hmm. It's a common complaint here. I think I'm right in saying, I don't want to misquote anybody, but I think I'm right in saying even, even the, the still game writers themselves have said that they are often faced with hostility from the BBC network when it comes to what they consider regional comedies because they think that the audience won't get them. And another example has been given recently of Daft Limmy's sketch show. I only just found out that's not being shown in England. That's right, yes. The hell? Only Only through BBC iPlayer. Yeah, that's right. People can see it. Got to be sort of objective about it and say... From the, the episodes of Daft Limit that I've seen, some of the dialogue is quite heavy. It's not being carefully worded. Um, there are some conversations about this uh, particular recurring sketch on one episode about what's your thing, what's your thing, and basically what the, what they're what they're saying is to the married men, what's your thing that you do, what's your secret thing that you keep from your wife. There's no sort of um, concession to viewers outside Scotland and the speed at which they're relating this and what have you, I'm not sure that it would be appreciated by everybody. I don't have a Glaswegian accent uh, by any means, although I live in Glasgow but I wasn't born here. When I lived down in Berkshire, I noticed that quite often when I was speaking to I was I was living uh, in Newbury which in my experience was a fairly sort of insular community and I did notice that Quite often people would stop me and say they didn't hear what I'd said. And after a little while I stopped repeating myself and just paused and went silent for a couple of seconds. And it turned out that actually they did hear what I said after all. <laughs> I don't know then why they had this sort of knee-jerk reaction to say, no, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Um, I mean, it's, we've sort of lived in the Portsmouth area and all like that. We know that Ray comes from Southampton as well. It's a sort of southern hampshire 
thing, isn't it? Like the dialects, it's slightly different in. Oh, we've got a problem here. You've, I think you've offended Ray. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry for that. But I, mis- I misread sorry. what you said there, Ray. I thought you said that nobody was shit. I would have been fine with that, to be honest, but they bothered me. But uh, no, I, well, funnily enough, Boggs, I, I spent a long time in Gosport near Portsmouth as well. There, I didn't have any problem because it, I've been being in a sort of a naval community. I think they were a bit more cosmopolitan and they were much more used to various accents. I never had that problem in there at all. You just reminded me um, the other day I was watching In Loving Memory with my wife. And I can't remember exactly what Thorherd's character says, but it's like, oh, as we say in Yorkshire, there's now so queer as a bap up a snicket. <laughs> and my wife looked at me normally. It was kind of like, oh, you know, can you translate? It's like, yeah, no, that was nonsense. <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly what she said because what I've just said actually makes a small amount of It was just kind of like, that was just a bunch of uh, Yorkshire dialect words stuck together. They don't actually make a sentence. That always annoys me that. I mean, this is a thing. Obviously, Gary living in Gosport, and obviously with my eldest brother living where you did, um, Ocho. Bradford! Bradford. To me, it's sort of understanding them, but not quite getting the nuances, if you get what I mean. I'm getting more and more nuances, you know, over time, but it's those little things in the dialect. Any accent. Yeah. So, Mooncat, you're saying about Limmy not being careful in his dialogue. Mm-hmm. It, it does actually make sense, though. Yeah. It's just a lack of concession to. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that. I just want to be sure about that because it's a thing that annoys me. I remember at one time somebody on a message board saying that they actually found Sir Humphreys in Yes Minister, his speech is annoying mm-hmm. because they could follow them and said it wasn't funny. It's like, well, no, it's to me, that's fine. I can follow everything he says, yeah. but it's a perfectly valid joke that he's going round a bucket to kick it and using five words where one will do. And it really annoys me when somebody tries to do that humour and does and does a sentence that doesn't actually make any sense. They just think that because these words are complicated, mm-hmm. they're essentially meaningless. Yeah, I mean the joke. The joke there is a hacker doesn't understand them. That's the point. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether whether the audience gets it. It's the fact that Hacker doesn't, and then everybody's waiting for Hacker's response and how he's going to how he's going to phrase it. Uh, with regards to the dialect issue, it would be nice to see uh, network BBC, uh, even if it's just BBC Four, for example, just taking a chance on something that came from BBC Wales or BBC Northern Ireland or even, for example, something from BBC North, for example, and just just give it a go and just see how, how people take to it. That is really the thing with the network nations and regions sort of thing now, that you would only really have, apart from BBC One, Two, Three and Four, maybe... Uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland or Wales doing separate things, you wouldn't get something, say, from Birmingham or anything like that. And because there's, like, Ray says, you know, with the closing of TV Centre, right, there are not the facilities to do that sort of thing anymore. There's only Salford, but that would be main BBC anyway. I mean, I can agree with, say, something coming in from the other nations like Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, 
coming on to BBC Three or Four, giving it a chance. But it is this sort of thing that is getting away from the BBC being people say London centric. I don't believe that at all because obviously Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland they try and do their own thing. It might be a BBC, but they do their own programme, right? Hey, you know what guys, I got a crazy idea. You know there's this independent television on, on channel three. Why don't we have that split up into sixteen separate <laughs> regional parts? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. God, it's 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 amusing that it's like the BBC's got this whole obsession with breaking, you know, breaking out of London, and people are talking about it. It's like, do you not realise we actually had a non-London centric television system and got rid of it? Yeah, we did. We had a non-centric television system, and we basically all forced it into one place. We did. But another thing that's bothering me, and I'm finding this with drama is that sense of, apart from soap operas, everything kind of being suitable for export. I can kind of tell that they're, they're looking at PBS and maybe getting onto American cable channels. Yeah. Um, I think you're getting to a situation where it's it's not even now London-centric and regions. The entire country is kind of unable to talk to itself. It's kind of, right, Whatever we do, remember, the Americans are, w- are watching this. The Americans are listening. We're unable to talk among ourselves. Yeah. Without worrying about foreigners. I think it was Dickie Henderson that said that if you try and please both American and British audiences, then you usually end up uh, right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Ray says, there is no such thing as London-centric when programmes can be made all over the UK, produced independently and commissioned by BBC Scotland. London-centric makes sense when up against the mess like that. Just pick up on that point, what you were saying there just now, uh, Ocho. One example of what you make, and you wouldn't say it was London-centric, but one example of trying to please everyone and end up pleasing no one uh, is that nowadays uh, the Hogmanay shows are, are very uh, much separated. Uh, you have, in Scotland, you have Hogmanay Live from the BBC in Glasgow, and then everywhere else you usually have somebody like I don't know, Claire Balding or somebody stood outside Big Ben and speaking to people in Trafalgar Square and so on. And on occasion, they, they've tried to sort of merge the two. And there was one particular occasion, I think it was around 1998, when BBC Scotland were asked to produce a Hogmanay show for the network and then were told, by the way, don't include the word Hogmanay in the title of the show because that's too <laughs> regional. So they ended up producing something called New Year Live, which came from Scotland but was then very heavily anglicised and ended up pleasing absolutely nobody. And most of all, the local audience who just found a massive turn-off. So I suppose, yeah, you do always have that sort of that issue of how many concessions do you make? We noticed in Still Game the use of the Queen's English, so to speak, for the, the episode titles from season four onwards to accommodate the fact that they were being networked on, on BBC Two. And you will find, for example, if you listen to some of the Jack and Victor sketches in Shooting the Fat or if you watch the, the stage play, 
you'll notice that it's a bit more uh, sort of dialect heavy. Some of the points of reference are specifically for uh, the Scottish audience and so on. But of course, you can sort of overplay this as well, and, and it's it very, very broad strokes. I mean, even I'm doing it now when I'm saying Scottish audience. The audience in Glasgow is very different to the audience in Aberdeen for example. And as you were saying, Ocho, when we had the regional system on ITV, the comedy, for example, that would come out of Grampian was very different to the comedy that would come from STV. And can, can you name me some Grampian comedies? The most famous Grampian comedy was a sketch show called Scotland the What that uh, went okay. out every Hogmanay. And this was uh, partially as a result of the fact that people in the North East, particularly in Aberdeen, did not take very well to Ricky Fulton at all. And so, yeah, they had their own distinct dialect. You can hear, actually hear a little bit of Northeastern dialect. If you watch the episode with Clive Russell as Big Innes, he is supposed to have gone off to the Northeast, and you can hear a little bit of Northeastern dialect in that episode, where it's not so much the vocabulary as a pronunciation that really throws you. I've got Aberdonian friends, and sometimes I'm even I'm straining to hear exactly what's being said because it's all straightforward English but the pronunciation is just sometimes in the weirdest possible place the emphasis on the particular syllables and so on and so you've always yeah I guess you've always got that balance of, of, of trying to please your home audience and I guess that the, the sort of routines that Max Boyce would have done going out on national BBC would have been very different to the ones that were in Wales only but we should start now, I think, chaps. We should start to wrap up on Still Game, and obviously we can carry on uh, talking bits and pieces after the uh, the break. But we should wrap up Still Game for the podcast listeners. Ocho, you've already said that you'd be happy to come back to Still Game as a viewer at some point. Yes, but I can't watch it with my wife. What? Now, why is that? Because I think they're ever so slightly too Scottish. Even for even for my my wife who who enjoys Charlie Endler Esquire. Yes. I th- I think Still Game is just over that line of Scottishness. Perhaps so. I mean, Charlie Endless, well, of course, the character was always from day one intended for a UK-wide audience. So you would get small concessions being made to the, the dialect and also the speed of the delivery as well because that's but, um, a character trait. I, I didn't find uh, the Charlie Endless series itself, you know, post-budgie. Made by STV. I didn't find it was cozying too much up to an anglicised audience. I think a lot of it is to do with speed of delivery. When you get two Glaswegians, for example, together, we do tend to speak very quickly. And a friend of mine from New Jersey commented uh, on this, that when the three of us, for example, would have been discussing different bits and pieces, we were also speaking at the same sort of speed whereas when the two Glaswegians in the group were by ourselves, we'd be speaking a lot quicker and sometimes it could be very hard for anybody else then to follow the conversation uh, so I suspect that it might be more just to do with, with speed of delivery and also just avoiding very parochial terms in the dialect as well They just reminded me of a conversation I once had with somebody um, when the new Star Trek movie came out and Scotty's supposed to be from Aberdeen, isn't he? I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with. And that. I think Simon Pegg subject. did it with a Glaswegian accent. I sort of said, "Yeah, oh, you know, because I do, I do know a couple of people from Aberdeen, and I do notice they have that slightly paralysed upper lip." Yeah. <laughs> As I said, oh, you know, it would have been nice if he if he'd spoken with the right accent. Oh, you can't expect people to know about. It. It's like, why have a character from there then? <laughs> yes. It's a bit um, like. Um, Daphne in Fraser. Why have a character from Manchester if there's going to be absolutely nothing Mancunian about? Don't get me started on that one. 
Okay, let's not start on that. <laughs> oh, you just reminded me of something else as well. The new Kachansky in Red Dwarf. Oh, who's still supposed to be from Glasgow, apparently. <laughs> For the record, though, um, it might be interesting to know. Also, in terms of their uh, their product placement, or, or kind of the... There's a certain thing about sitcoms and food. If, if it does it in the right way, um, it, food is used in two different strands, from what I can gather. There's the one where it's done in a... where the audience reacts in a... Uh, kind of way and that's kind of the standard commonplace there's the slightly rarer version of making use of food and sometimes drink where it's kind of the homely oh they're chewing on a scotch egg i fancy a scotch egg and that's delivered through the comedy tunnocks is a predominant thing uh throughout there's a there's a fair few references to tunnocks uh, throughout the series but also of course, it's a sort of it's a Scottish-based product. Um, Tunnock's tea cakes, and then wrapping up the uh, playing games with the, the wrapping. There's also the element of beefy bakes being a thing, which is sort of the closest we've got sort of in England. Though, so it would be something along the lines of Greg's Bakery and kind of. Well, of course, Greg's got mentioned in tonight's still. Indeed. Yes. Yep. Which which kind of jarred with me. I just think of them as a Northern English thing, <laughs> like they don't exist south of Sheffield. <laughs> No, I, I, north can, of, I can confirm the know. number of times I've spotted one. If I'm out for a five-minute walk, I'll probably pass two of them. So no, I can confirm that's definitely not the case. Um, of course, uh, alcohol-wise, you've got whiskey as a, as a massive factor, as illustrated in uh, the uh, episodes we saw tonight. By the way, what they say in there is not true. You can go back from malt. I've drunk a lot of malt whiskey, and yet I always find myself back on something cheap that mixes well with Pepsi. You don't mean tonight, do you? No, not tonight. I've been drinking hot Kool-Aid. But no, the um, the Clive Russell, um, Big Innie's character, being treated. You know, if you were to go to the uh, the wiki page of Midori, I like the fact that I didn't expect this, but I like the fact that it says at the bottom of the the rather brief Midori page. Midori is known in Scotland for it being mentioned in the comedy Still Game, where the character Big Innie's has violent reactions whenever he drinks the liquor, which is quite a nice impact. <laughs> And I can confirm there's a lot more Missouri in that supermarket in that episode than I've ever seen in a supermarket up here. Mm. You do occasionally see a single bottle on the shelf. Munka, have you ever been on a distillery tour? No. Oh, am I the only one here then? I've that? been I've been on a few brewery tours. I haven't been on one for whiskey. Oh, yeah. My my parents went round a bunch and took me. Went to the distillery for Laphroaig. Ah, got that here. Well, I've, I've got Johnny Walker. Here. And also... I have some dimple cufflinks somewhere. Hello to um, Jesus and Yabush and Mr. Simnuk, who have joined us in the chat room in the last few minutes. Jesus and Yabush is very pleased to hear DCT, uh, your critique of Daphne's accent. Oh, it, it's <laughs> Daphne's accent is the tip of the iceberg, because then you've got Millicent Martin making a welcome appearance, but nevertheless, it's the fucking brother who, who appears and basically just... But there's a bit where Daphne says there's a lake outside her house. Oh yes, the lakes of Manchester, and it's it's kind of you know if if you're just going to do that, have her be from a quaint little non-existent village called Frothington under Smythe or something. <laughs> Much snogging on the green, as I saw on Carry On Living. Is a stupid, awful brother who plays our stupid. Um, Anthony Lapaglia, who is Australian, who is basically playing a British character, going, "What go? That was piles." Well, there is, a, there is this problem that a lot of, not all Americans, just all but five of them, do see uh, having a nationality other than natural-born American is just a quirky affectation. <laughs> even, you know, even something that thinks of itself as kind of fairly liberal and satirical will always end up just taking the shortest route when it comes to talking about foreigners. 
Mm. But it's like yeah. the Simpsons. Um, if there's an episode of a, a typically British sitcom on there called, uh, I think it's called Do Shut Up or something like that. And they go for that sort of route of saying, oh, this is what we think that, or what we've seen, whether it's trying to be a spoof or not. They're not gags based on observation. They're gags based on other gags. So, you know, even something like a daily show or something that would pride itself on being above the kind of ugly American stereotype will always go, hey, clean your teeth, guys, huh? Yeah, um, that's really quite frustrating. There's too many perceptions of that. And the only series in America that I've seen that has perceived uh, it without being vaguely offensive is uh, Community, the creators of which are very much aware and, and fond of Doctor Who. And so they have their own perception of that with Inspector Space Time. And so although it does have the... Although it does have the allusions to um, the standard stereotypical things, it never says it in an offensive way. Whereas if you look at things like Family Guy and indeed The Simpsons, who, who both, um, who you know, a fair amount of the characters, uh, all the, the people voicing the characters and, and the writers and, and the creators um, pride themselves on being Anglophiles. They still can't help chuck in, ooh, bad teeth, ooh, fish and chips, ooh, cup of tea, ooh. It's just... Don't get me started on Jon Stewart and The Daily Show. We can talk about the problems of British satire another time, but American satire has never got rid of the smell of the frat house. Well, you know what? What I will put down for the record is that Craig Ferguson is the patriot. Craig Ferguson is the uh, is a Scottish gentleman who has a um, late night television show, a chat show in America. Uh, he follows on from David Letterman, and there is not one other American chat show where you'd have the host getting into a brief one minute or so conversation with with one of its guests, in this case Christina Hendricks, who lived in Islington for a period of time, just talking about specific streets where she may have visited. You wouldn't get that on any other on any other circumstance, and it is absolutely disgraceful that Craig Ferguson's show is not shown in in England because I mean the fact that he spent a whole week going back to Scotland. Him walking through a cemetery in Scotland with Mila Kunis, talk, you know, having conversations and reminiscing about his time there. You know, he's hanging out with Michael Clark Duncan before he died in, in his in his hometown. It's just incredibly endearing, and, and the fact that the fact that you have such an original element going on. He did, you know, he, he's he's. I can't I can't praise the man enough. But yeah, Craig Ferguson. Uh, anyone who can, you won't be able to uh, watch it through legitimate channels. Just download any show you have is because it's bloody good yeah no I, I agree and I, I, if they're gonna if they're determined to get rid of Leno uh, then it should be Craig Ferguson taking his slot rather than Jimmy Kimmel um, <laughs> I think CBS but, would have something to say about that ah very 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 probably but yes it is it is amazing to think I mean I know that people always complain on Twitter and so on they always say oh why don't we get Letterman here why don't we get Leno here it's been tried repeatedly by, by channels over here and the reason that it doesn't work over here is that so often that the subject matter the discussions are to do with American news and events and politics and so on and stories that aren't covered by the British media but but Craig Ferguson's show I, I find personally a lot more accessible uh, in that regard. The fact is uh, it's always been sort of tried to import like the David Letterman show, the Tonight Show, even with Johnny Carson back in the early 80s. That's right you know, yeah. yeah. They tried to import it to Britain and all like that, but ITV4, I think, did have some lettermans about five or six 
I think Sky, Sky Sky One tried Letterman. I think ITV yeah. Four tried Letterman. I think that um, Paramount Comedy Channel. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and I think even I think I'm right in saying that the Daily Show has now ended up on uh, Comedy Central Extra. It's not even on the main channel. Just um, just to clarify, um, out of the 1,600 plus shows of the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, there probably has been one or two bad ones. Just just a point. But generally, it is okay. good. <laughs> Charles, we should wrap up uh, the sitcom club for this evening. We'll carry on uh, on air. Um, By the way, if, if anybody uh, from NBC is listening and you would like your own Scottish guy in late night, replace Jay Leno with Jerry Sadowitz. See how that goes. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of that episode of um, Larry Sanders when Bob Cat Goldthwait is uh, uh, suggesting all these ideas for the show. <laughs> no, best best um, line, hands down, Larry Sanders. Uh, don't take this the wrong way, young lady, but I killed a man like you in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> so just to give suggestions for some additional viewing uh, with regards to Still Game before we come on to what we'll be discussing next time for the podcast, bits and pieces to wrap up Still Game, you can see the original play, uh, the recording from Cotier's Theatre, I think I read about 1998 or thereabouts. It's in bits and pieces on YouTube. I, I'm not sure if the DVD itself is still available. It may have been deleted, but it was originally from John Williams Productions. But it's definitely worth seeing. It is quite crude, and it's a, it's a bit harsher than the sitcom itself, but it's well worth a viewing. Chewing the fat, obviously, if you've never seen the sketch show itself, that's out and about. Also, if you can get hold of it, Chewing the fat, the radio series was originally aired on Radio Scotland, and then did get a repeat on BBC Seven Radio a few years back, so there may be some copies of that in circulation online and also if you want to look for some alternative bits and pieces from people involved there was a sitcom with Paul Riley and for Kiernan called Dear Green Place which came out after Still Game and also if you're going sort of looking around for bits and pieces and what have you there was uh, a series if you can find this congratulations because uh, I don't think it's going to be easy but there was a follow-up to Naked Video called Pulp Video which I think was the first television series of Greg Hempels, and that was all the way back in 1995. And I will warn you that it's not all that funny, but <laughs> if you can track it down, there might be the odd little diamond in the rock. So it kept the quality standard from Naked Video going. Is that huh? pulp, pulp video, like pulp fiction? Yes, indeed. It was 1995, so obviously trying to tie in with whatever the hell was popular in pop culture that at the time. It, yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and don't forget, of course, there are six. There are six series of Still Game. They're all available on DVD, and also there are Christmas specials and Hogmanay specials and so on. So don't forget to look them out as well as part of your collection. And as Delete said, Naked Radio. Naked Radio came before Naked Video as well. So anyway, chaps, I'll let uh, Ocho. I'll let you announce this. What are we covering next time? Uh, is it up Pompeii? It is. Oh. Okay, because I'm sorry. To- <laughs> You threw that to me like I was absolutely 100% certain, and I, I am not. I apologise. We were discussing it uh, earlier on uh, between the four of us, but it might have been a bit where you were away or something. I'm sorry about that. But yes, Up Pompeii is what we're discussing. We'll post the episode in the, the forum. By the way, did we ever get an agreement from last week? Is Spets still on the list? No, because is, we did discuss that we should throw that to the chat room and let them decide whether that counts or not. I think there's a bit of a tie because we had some votes for yes, some votes for no, and then we got sidetracked into talking about Pope Town and things like that. So we never really got a definite sort of answer for that. Uh, there are now 154 
items on our list. So, like I said, we're pretty good for the next sort of three years or so. But yeah, we'll work that out. We'll perhaps we'll put something on the the forum. We'll ask people to uh, to decide about spats. There is only one episode of it in general circulation in a way, so it's not uh, it's not going to be a big issue. But anyway. Chaps, it's been a pleasure, as always. Any any last words on Still Game or, or any else that come related matters? Boggs, any last any last request? I was going to say, any last words uh, on a sitcom? Mm, no, not that I can think of. I think I'm all sitcommed out this week. I'm looking forward to hearing a report from yourself in 50 years of, was it ZDF, did you say? Yes. Okay, you've been recording that this evening, so we'll hear about that later on. And finally, Ocho. Right, you know, we've got a little list of headings which we keep coming back to. Character, location as character, trapped. I want to add another couple of things. Something I've noticed watching Porridge recently. Serial elements, you know, we're talking about how characters in still games sometimes move on. Serial elements, which is not quite the same thing as story arcs. Yes. And storytelling engines. Is that what? what? These things are related. Not, Not Thomas the Tank Engine, no. Is that serial elements in relation to... Storytelling engines, okay. yeah. I will come back to this because I actually have half an idea. Well, at this point in proceedings, everybody started talking about the music DCT was going to play to the radio audience. But as this is the podcast version, with all the music edited out, we'll have to say goodbye here and now. We hope you join us next time on the Sitcom Club when we'll be looking at Up Pompeii.